Hello to everyone out there on the internet. My name is Charlie Keyes and I am the pastor of First Methodist Amarillo Campus. I am so glad that you've joined us today on our online campus as we discuss messy life together. Let's go ahead and jump right into our main scripture for today. So our text for today is 1 Corinthians 12, 31b through 13, 13. And let's, let's go ahead and read that together. I encourage you to have your Bible with you when we gather together to uh, explore God's word. So here we go. 1 Corinthians, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we only see in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. On a dusty, hot road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus was stopped in his tracks by blinding light from heaven. What had started out as a mission to rid Damascus of any who believed in this new sect called the Way had dramatically changed. On this road, Paul finds himself suddenly falling to his knees while simultaneously shielding his eyes from the blinding light when he hears a voice from heaven that changed the trajectory of his life forever. This voice was inviting him to, to a radically different calling than he had before. You see, Saul had been a zealous religious Pharisee committed to the Torah or the law of God. He had been trained up by one of the most respected and well-known rabbis of his day, Gamaliel. He could spend countless hours poring over the scriptures and knew every jot and tittle. As a Jewish rabbi himself, he loved to devote his life to debating the law and the Mishnah or the oral tradition. He was committed to God, so committed that he made it his goal to round up any who had threatened God's people, the Jews. This included those of the way, those who were teaching that another rabbi, a man named Jesus, was the Messiah. Saul wanted to crush these new believers. He believed that they were perverting the law of God. But the voice from heaven that day changed all that. The voice of Jesus. The voice he heard was the voice of Jesus. And this voice changed it all, everything. The voice of Jesus tore through him like a hurricane. Even his name was changed from Saul to Paul. Paul would spend the rest of his life in response to the voice of Jesus. 
Instead of seeking to imprison Christians, he would spend much of his life in prison himself. Instead of threatening followers of the way, he would be threatened himself, spat upon, stoned, beaten, flogged, insulted, all in response to the voice of Jesus. Paul had found a more excellent way, you might say. He had learned and experienced what it meant to be loved, and he lived his life in response to that love. He lived a life transformed by love. He spent his life showing the world what love really meant. Now, right after the experience on the Damascus Road, God also called a man named Ananias to come and pray for Paul and help him understand what had just happened. Do you remember how Ananias first responded to God's calling? He said, um, God, I've heard about this man, and what I've heard ain't good. In fact, he, the reason this guy is here is to arrest all of us. I don't know about you, but I can understand his response. Because up until this point, Paul has been an enemy of the gospel. And not too many of us enjoy talking to our enemies. But Ananias wasn't just called to talk to him. God expected Ananias to lovingly explain the gospel and pray for him. Love an enemy. I think Jesus had something to say about that. It's not easy. In fact, it's downright messy. But those ordinary Christians, those people whose names we will never know this side of heaven, spent years with Paul, years showing him what it meant to love, teaching him the ways of Jesus, guiding him in love. Some 20 years after that experience, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, the church he started, to help them understand what it means to live life together, to do this messy life together as the church. And again, let me remind you, this letter was written to Christians in Corinth and to you and me. Here in chapter 13, toward the end of his letter, Paul spends some 13 verses writing a beautiful commentary on love. And do you remember the context? We talked about that last week. This chapter is sandwiched between two chapters talking about the proper use of spiritual gifts. Paul is trying to help them understand that knowledge and gifts aren't what's most important. The most important thing is love. Love is our social ethic. So that begs the question, what is love? And that's the question that I'm hoping we're able to answer today. Because I submit to you that the world has no real concept of what love looks like. Now, the culture around us is quick to give us false images of what love is, images that have a hint of real love but fall short. These half-truths begin to deform our own understanding of real love and break down the society or community we're called to live in. Our world is eager to give us advice on what love is through music, movies, blogs, or through those silly little quizzes about love on social media, but it so it can get really confusing really quickly. We hear things like this about love. We hear things like love is about feelings. Walk away when you don't feel it. I need to think about myself first. Only love those who love you back. Love is thinking the same way. It's not disagreeing. It's never fighting. Love should be easy. Next week, we'll look at the other part of loving our enemies. But today, I want us to hopefully catch a glimpse of real love because it can be quite messy. 
This scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 is read at many weddings. You've probably been to a wedding where the pastor uses this text in the marriage ceremony. I myself have used it many times in marriage ceremonies that I've led. But this chapter is actually not addressing marriage at all. Now, to be clear, the truth in the text about love does apply to marriage. But this chapter is more than that. So as I read part of the scriptures, please try not to limit it to just marriage. The truth in this chapter applies far, far beyond just marriage. Again, Paul is writing to a church, a church that is in distress. And he is trying to correct their mistakes on how they are treating each other and establish that the foundation of how they should treat each other is love. If you, as you read Paul's letter, you might notice it's almost like a parent scolding a child. It's, it's kind of that good news, bad news. It has that flow to it. The good news, Paul states up front, God has blessed this church, the church of Corinth. God has given them spiritual gifts. Jesus will return soon. God will give them power to stand firm. God is faithful. <laughs> but then comes the bad news, and it's like a punch to the gut. As we've been walking through the first 12 chapters of, of Corinthians, you've seen how this plays out. In fact, in case you think the idea of love is soft or syrupy and warm and fuzzy, all you have to do is go back and read the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians as Paul reprimands the church he has founded, condemning them, in fact, for the things that they have allowed. In fact, toward the end of his letter, he states these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 through 34, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to a sober and right mind and sin no more. For some people have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. It's pretty harsh stuff. It doesn't sound very loving to us, but that's the thing. It is actually the most loving thing to do. When someone is off track, when someone is doing things to harm themselves or to others, when you are literally headed towards hell, the most loving thing to do is to stop that person to warn them, to chew them out, to keep them from doing the thing that they had planned to do. But it is all in the context of the proper understanding of who we are in Christ and what it means to love one another. Let me say that again. The context of that action, of that love, is in the proper understanding of who we are in Jesus. For us to truly know what love is, we have to know what Jesus has done for us. True love comes from understanding and growing in faith in Jesus. So let's read our text from chapter 13 again, remembering that Paul isn't talking about marriage. He is addressing the issue of spiritual gifts and the church's terrible practice of ranking who is better and more gifted. He is addressing the division and divisiveness generated by the lack of biblical love in their community. And he starts with this, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The way the Corinthians were living together wasn't working. Paul is showing them that the, the way they should live is the way of love. Then he goes on to say, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I have hand my, hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain 
nothing. Pretty bold words, aren't they? You gain nothing without love. You see, the Corinthian church, and, and really today's church as well, struggles with placing these things above love, speaking in tongues and prophecy and knowledge and even faith and generosity. But Paul is reminding the church that love is more than a spiritual gift. Love is a way of life. Let me say that again. Love is a way of life. But we have to translate love correctly. The definition of love for Paul and for us again is very different from the world's. Let's hear how Paul defines love. Love is patient. Ouch. Love is kind. As Christ followers, we should understand this more than any other because God continually, continually, continually demonstrates this type of love towards us. Remember, while we were yet sinners and still enemies of God, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die for us. God has demonstrated patience and kindness towards us. A patience that does not give up and a kindness that we can never repay. We are called to do the same for those around us. And you might be scratching your head wondering, how patient should I be? Or how kind should I be? I think those are good questions, questions we should be asking. But the answer is probably more than you think. But even God has limits on his patience, so we should too. We shouldn't be patient with evil. It's all right to be angry when someone runs off with your spouse. And kindness has to be smart. It has to be tough as well. If we overindulge in kindness, then we are really harming more than helping. If we hide or allow abuse, this isn't love. This isn't love. Love doesn't tolerate evil. But love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. See, Paul is reminding the church that we are one body in Christ. So if one suffers, we all suffer. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. When we truly love, we seek out the best for each other. We should not see ourselves as more important than others. This is what it looks like to live a Christ-like life. Moving forward, Paul goes on to say, love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. I think that means that sometimes it's tough to love because we're called to speak the truth. Amen? To lead others away from unrighteousness and to the truth. Love is not just about feeling good and warm fuzzies. Love doesn't rejoice when there is injustice. It isn't silent when evil is near. It will do whatever it takes to see people know the truth. True love works for the greater good of all of us, even when it's uncomfortable. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This one is hard. But if we look at the life of Paul, we see that he had to bear all things for the sake of Christ. He suffered. He was dishonored, but he hoped for the best. He endured for the sake of Christ, trusting that salvation was a gift that, could find, that we could find in Christ. As we continue to read, we find that love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, 
and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, partial will come to an end. Love never ends. Let me say that again. Love never ends. Amen. Amen. When I was a child, this is Paul continues, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul's reminding us of the hope that we have in Christ in eternity. When we see Christ face to face, we will more fully understand the incredible depth of God's love for us. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. Again, when we see Christ face to face, we will have no more need for faith because we will be perfected in Christ. We'll have no more need of hope because our hope is right in front of us. Only love will continue from this age into eternity. And hopefully you've noticed by now that Paul, when he speaks of this type of love, he is speaking about action. He's speaking about action, not feeling. He's speaking about unconditional commitment. He's speaking about promises that aren't broken. This is what love looks like. Hopefully you've noticed that nothing was said about feelings. Now, to be clear, feelings are the fun part of love, but not the final part of love. Let me say that again. Feelings are the fun part of love, but they are not the final part of love. Love requires action and choice and commitment, even when feelings are not there. But we also must understand that there are limits to love. We cannot fall into the trap of codependency where we just allow anything to happen in the name of love. Remember, love is wanting the best for the other. And the best is not allowing an abusive spouse to continue abuse. The best is not allowing an alcoholic to continue to drink and you constantly cover for them. To love those people is to demand that they seek professional help and to refuse to carry about like nothing has happened. The kindest thing you can do in those situations is to help that person seek change for their own benefit. Love seeks the best for others. So back to our question, what is love? It is the way we are called to live as followers of Christ. And translated correctly, it is built on faith in Jesus and strives for the best of others. It's time for all of us to strive for this more excellent way. Now, your next step. For me, I always think it's important after hearing a word of truth to do our best to apply it to our lives as quickly as possible. You might remember a few weeks ago, we talked about what Paul said about love, he said that, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So I wanna encourage you to take this next step with me to use love to build up those around you. I'm gonna pray for us here in a moment. And what I'm gonna pray is that as I'm praying that you will receive a, receive a word of truth to share with someone else. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Find somebody and tell them they're doing a great job. Maybe it's an affirmation. Maybe your spouse uh, needs to know that you see the hard work they're doing. Uh, maybe your, your parents haven't heard from you in a while and you need to reach out to them and affirm and, and commit that love, share that you have that love for them. I don't know what it might be, 
But my prayer is going to be that you receive a word of love to share with somebody else, a word of truth, and that your next step is this week to share that word with whoever's on your heart. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for all of us, but especially for those who are listening online today, that you would, Holy Spirit, speak in their hearts a word of truth, a word of love, and that even now you'd begin to call to their mind who they need to share that truth with, whether it's a parent, a loved one, a spouse, uh, somebody they've uh, lost connection with over the years. And I just pray that you would affirm what they need to say and that you would give them the courage to share that word of truth this week with the person you laid on their heart. I pray that you'd bless all those who heard this word and they would commit to living a life of love, biblical love, no matter how uncomfortable or messy it might be. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening today and God bless you this week.